You are tuning in to Amazing Discoveries in Bible Prophecy. Join us for this weekly, thought-provoking Bible prophecy series that gives hope in the midst of a troubled world. Discover how prophecy provides meaning, purpose, and life-changing truths that is guaranteed to transform your life. This is a pre-recorded, interactive Bible study, and we welcome you to join in and listen in. Well, our study tonight is entitled The Witch of Indoor, and for those of you who may be wondering about the title, that comes straight out of 1 Samuel chapter 28, which talks about King Saul. And if you know King Saul, the, he started out to be a good king, but then at the end, it didn't go well for him. Uh, he rejected God, and it's a really sad, tragic end that Saul had to face at the close of his life. But we see that in the story found in 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul was in a very desperate situation um, as the entire Philistine army was gathered to attack Israel and Saul knew that things didn't look good. Things looked rather bleak. And uh, he wished that he could turn to someone. He tried to turn to God, but God was not responding to him. And he wanted to speak to someone and he was wondering if he could speak to Samuel. If only Samuel, the prophet, the one that, that brought him in to be a king, could be there to give him counsel. But the problem is that Saul, uh, Saul the problem is Samuel uh, died a long time ago. But yet he was desperate, so he sought after a witch, the witch of Endor. And as he sought after this witch, uh, she uh, asked him, what do you want me to do? And he says, bring up uh, Samuel so that I may speak to him. And we know the Bible tells us very clearly that God forbade his people to associate with those who are familiar with uh, evil spirits or familiar spirits like witches and soothsayers and, and those people who had access as mediums to speak to the dead but yet Saul was so desperate he sought out this witch and this witch brought up uh, supposedly Samuel and uh, and as the that apparition that claimed to be Samuel appeared uh, he gave a very bad prediction of what would happen to Saul and his sons in the battle the next day and sure enough Saul and his sons were killed and we see that from this story, from this account, it may seem like it was Saul, Samuel that was speaking to Saul, but in actuality, we want to see what does the Bible say about this and how can we understand the whole concept of the state of the dead. And, and so it's very important for us to know this so that we too will not be uh, deceived as King Saul was. And so let's take a look at the first question in our study guide, you should be uh, looking at that right now as I sent that to everyone present, except for Riaz. I got to send that to Riaz. So uh, the first question is, was the form that Saul saw actually Samuel the prophet? And so the first verse we're going to look at is 1 Kings chapter 22, 22. 
First Kings chapter 22, 22, and I'm going to ask uh, Brother Chase if he can read that for us. First Kings chapter 22, verse 22, and the next person that's going to be ready to read will be Jeff. So we'll have Jeff go right after him. But for this text, I'll have Chase read First Kings 22, 22. All right, First Kings 22, 22, and it says, And Jehovah said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You shall entice him and shall prevail also. Go forth and do so. Okay, so it's interesting that here in this text, it says that what kind of spirit would be in the mouth of all these false prophets it says a lying spirit a lying spirit and so in other words there are spirits but there's also lying spirits so there's a differentiation between the good, good spirits and the lying spirits and so we see that there are two uh two groups in the spiritual realm which is god and his angels which the bible tells us in hebrews chapter one uh, that they are ministering spirits the good spirits are the ministering spirits the good angels they're called ministering spirits but here we see a differentiation we see lying spirits now we know that no spirit from god is a lying spirit but we see that we see satan and his angels are counted among this group that are these lying spirits um, and why is it important for us to understand this? Because we see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, which is what Jeff is going to read for us. Revelation 16, 14 tells us what's going to transpire in the last days. As spiritualism, um, as we know it, that's, that's where you're trying to talk to the dead or talk to familiar spirits. Um, and this is um, evil spirits. Uh, spiritualism is going to be very rampant in the last days. And so what's going to take place and why is it important for us to understand this? Revelation chapter 16, verse 14. Okay. <clears throat> for they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Okay. So we see here that there's these spirits and the bible tells us the spirits of devils and they're working what miracles they're working miracles and they're going forth to the kings of the earth the whole world and deceiving the masses of people to gather them to themselves through these miracles and uh, signs and wonders and so we see that the spirits of devils also work miracles these spirits of devils also uh, do uh, supernatural phenomena. And so that doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. So we got to understand that even the evil spirits, even the spirits of devils can do the same sort of miracles and signs and wonders. So let's not be so easily, um, you know, mesmerized or overwhelmed by such spirits, but let us also exercise caution and just ask ourselves when we see such things taking place, you know, that they are, yes, supernatural, you know, phenomena, but from which source are they coming from? 
And that's what we really need to ask. What source are they coming from? Because even the devil and his angels can also perform the same miracles as well. And so we, we need to be careful about that. Um, Perina just joined us. Thank you uh, for joining us, Perina. Um, Chase, I sent you a copy of the study guide. If you wouldn't mind sending her a copy of the study guide uh, for her, that would be great. Um, and so we'll go ahead and move on to question number two. Do the dead come back to converse with or to haunt the living? And so, you know, you hear about all these, you know, um, stories or these um, experiences that people have where they say that, oh, my loved one uh, came back to me and spoke to me. Or they say that the house that they lived in, there's a spirit there that's, that, that visited me. Um, the spirit of that house is, is haunting that place. Um, are these things true? And does the Bible give us any understanding about this? We're going to take a look at Job chapter 14, verse 21. And Job chapter 14, verse 21. We're going to go ahead and, um, I don't know, is Denise able to read that for us? Denise, can you look up Job 14, 21? And if you can't read it, that's fine. Um, just. No. Uh, I will not read. <laughs> I don't not, have a Bible. You don't yes. have a Bible? Okay, that's yes. fine. That's Thank you. Uh, so we'll look at Job 14, verse 21. I'll go ahead and read that. And uh, we'll uh, jump to Roger next after me. So Roger, you'll be up after me, so just be ready. Um, so Job chapter 14, verse 12, it says this. It says, so man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. So in other words, this is talking about when a man lieth down and rises not, that's talking about death. When a man dies, he's not going to rise up um, and he's not going to be raised out of sleep. They're going to remain dead. So we see that do the dead come back to converse with people according to this text? No. And maybe you're not convinced. Let's look at some more passages in scripture. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, 6, and we're going to jump to verse 10. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, 6, and then jump to verse 10. So we're going to have Roger read that for us. Ecclesiastes is after Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, 6, and 10. And so Roger has his mic on, so it sounds like he's ready to go. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy long have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun? Can jump to verse 10, if you would. Same chapter, verse 10. 
I'm sorry, I missed it. <laughs> I lost my to place totally. Okay. <laughs> Job 14. Job. Well, well I'll, I'll read. I'll read verse 10. Hold on, I, I lost my place. <laughs> That's fine. I'll, I'll read. I'll read verse 10. It says, "Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest." And so, notice the the text that Roger read. It's very compelling. It says, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know how much? You could just write it in on the chat. How much does do the dead know upon death? What does it say there in verse 5? You can feel free to write in the chat or say, state it if you'd like to state it, if you're brave enough. How much do the dead know? Nothing. That's right. So Sherry said, the dead know nothing. And so very clearly, the dead know nothing. Living know that they'll die, but the dead know nothing. Their love, their hatred, their envy has perished. So in, either words, in other words, their thoughts have perished, but also their feelings have perished. So there's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as someone haunting and looking around, trying to uh, deal with unfinished business, as many people assume. We see that the dead, when they die, they know nothing. They have no part uh, in anything done under the sun. That's another way of saying they have no part in this life as we know it. And so very clearly, uh, they are no more. And they're not there to come up again to uh, converse with us. And the Bible is very clear because there's so many texts that talk about the fact that the person that dies, they know absolutely nothing about what's going on on planet Earth. Uh, Psalms chapter 115, verse 17 says, the dead praise not the Lord. Psalm 6, verse 5 says, in death, there is no remembrance of thee. Job chapter 7, verse 10 says, he shall return no more to his house. Isaiah 38, 18, death cannot celebrate thee. And Psalms 146, verse 4, his thoughts perish upon death. So you, you see it all there in the study guide, so you don't have to worry about writing it down, but you see that there's so many verses that tell us very clearly, and they're all in agreement of this one thing, that when you die, you know absolutely nothing. You have no part in this life as we know it. Your thoughts and feelings perish. You do not celebrate. You don't remember things. You are there in the grave. And so question number three, according to the book of Revelation, who has the keys of death? And when you look at Revelation chapter one, verse 18, Revelation chapter one, verse 18, and feel free to just chime in or chat or uh, state, uh, you know, any comments or questions. Uh, we want to make this an interactive study. And so uh, I, I find that when it's more interactive, people get more out of it. And so uh, we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to have uh, Chase, if you could read that for us. And Sherry, you're going to be up next. Uh, Revelation 1, 18. Who has the keys of death? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, and here's what it says. And the living one, and I was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore, and I 
have the keys of death and of Hades. Okay, who is speaking in this text? Do you know? This is, this is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is speaking and he is saying that I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. And so Jesus says clearly, I have the keys of hell and of death. And so we see that only Jesus has the keys of death because he's the only one that has conquered death. And uh, you know, we should go to Jesus because Jesus knows better because he's experienced death, but also more so he has overcome death and he has the keys to death. So Jesus would know clearly what death was like. Jesus would know clearly more about death and he'll let us in on that understanding through his word. So we go to God's word for the answers about our questions about death. Question number four, how did God make man in the beginning? So in other words, to understand how we came about gives us insight to how we die. And so let's take a look at the very beginning. How did God make man in the beginning? Genesis chapter two, verse seven, and Sherry's gonna read that for us. Genesis okay. two, verse seven. Okay, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. All right, so we notice here, notice very carefully this text. Sometimes we could just read it and just kind of glaze over the details, but it says here that the Lord formed man out of what? Dust. Dust, yes. He formed him out of the dust of the earth. So God just somehow, he got the dust of the earth and he just formed man out of the dust. And then it says that he, what? Breathed life and breathed into his nostrils. Yes, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So notice the two, the two components here that make up man. It says that the dust of the ground, which is the physical form or the physical body, Right? So the body itself formed out of dust and the breath of God that goes into him. And we see that the Bible tells us that man became a living soul. My version says living soul. That's the King James version. And so we see that both body plus breath equals a living soul. And so these two things happened at creation where God formed man out of the dust he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man, as a result, became a living soul. And so you and I presently are living souls. Uh, you know, many people think that a soul is what we have, but that's not true. According to the Bible, a soul is what we are. We are souls, living souls. And so uh, let's go to question number five. What happens at death? And so we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. What happens at death? You see that upon creation, body plus breath equals living soul. But what happens upon death? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And we're going to have Jeff read that for us. All right, um, twelve seven. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. 
Okay, so here we get a very clear picture of what happens when somebody dies. It says that the dust shall return to the earth. Remember when you go to those funerals and you hear where people say uh, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Uh, it's, it's talking about how when we die, we return to the dust from which we came. We shall return to the, the dust, the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And so we see the spirit goes back to God. Now, some people think, oh, the spirit, oh, yeah, so our spirit or who we are becomes disembodied from our physical body and goes straight to heaven. That's what many people think when they're reading this text. But we see that the Bible tells us what that word spirit really means. And we got to look at the original Hebrew as well, because the Bible clearly teaches that the word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. And ruach means breath. And so the spirit that returns to God is not the disembodied soul of that person that goes floating up to heaven and they are playing a harp, sitting on a cloud and enjoying heaven in their spirit form. That's not true. The Bible tells us very clearly that that spirit is simply the breath. Remember our equation that we looked at, man was formed out of the dust of the earth. God breathed into him the breath of life. He became a living soul. When he dies, his body returns to the dust. What happens to the breath? The breath goes back to God from where it came from. And so here's some texts that prove that point. Some of you may, may uh, need to have some Bible evidence for what I'm talking about here, and I'm, I'm glad to provide that. We look at uh, James chapter 2, verse 26. James chapter 2, verse 26. And um, Roger, I'm going to have you help me out here uh, since you're going to be up next. If you could read Job 27.3, Job 27.3, and I'll read James 2.26. Okay, so I'll read that first, and then Roger will follow. But uh, what is that spirit? Okay, that, here's what it says here in James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So very clearly, James also knew this concept about the body without the spirit is dead. He's using that as an example of how we as a Christian should have faith and works. Um, but he uses that same illustration where the body without the spirit is dead. So body minus spirit equals no living soul, right? So let's read Job chapter 27, verse 3. Roger, do you have that? As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils. All right. So we see very clearly it says, as long as I have breath in me, the spirit of God is in my nostrils. And the word spirit and breath are both synonymous in that text. They're one and the same. So it's not talking about a disembodied soul that comes out of a person, but clearly in Job 27 verse 3, it states that the spirit is the breath. And the word itself in the Hebrew, ruach, 
means breath. So when a person dies, they give up their breath. That's the breath of God, the breath of life returns back to God. Does that make sense? If it does, uh, give me an amen or give me a thumbs up or say yes on the chat. Because if you're not getting that, I want to uh, go further in detail to make it clear. Is that clear that the spirit is simply the breath of God that returns to him upon an individual that dies? Is that clear? I'm not seeing any response. Oh, except for one. Okay, Roger's saying yes, it makes sense. Karina says it makes sense. Amen. Okay. All right. The rest of you, Jeff. Okay, good. All right. Um, and also, if there's more text there as well. We're not going to have time to go into it. There's Job 33, verse 4. Uh, Psalms 104, verse 29 and 30. Uh, I encourage you to look those texts up and those texts further expound upon this idea that the spirit that returns to God is not a disembodied soul, but it is just the breath, right? And so if you just take the Bible in its entirety, it explains itself. So question number six, where do the dead go when they die? Now that's a very good question. You know, some people say that when somebody dies, they go straight to heaven. Other people say that they go straight to hell. Uh, other denominations say that, you know, they'll go to purgatory where they need to be cleansed before they actually go to heaven. Um, and so where do the dead go when they die? We go to Job chapter 21, verse 32. Job chapter 21, verse 32. And I think it's Sherry's turn to read that for us. Are you there, Sherry? Yes. Okay. Yet, yet he shall be brought to the grave and a vigil kept over the tomb. Okay, so it says that he shall be brought to the where? Grave. To the grave. So when a, person, when a person dies, they go to the grave. And it says, furthermore, in your text, Sherry, it says that they shall remain in the tomb. So no, notice that they don't go straight to heaven or hell or some other place, but they will remain in the tomb. And so okay. they're not going anywhere. They're in the grave when they die. And uh, how, what are they doing in the grave? What, what's, what's, why are they in the grave and not in heaven or hell? We go to John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. And I believe it's going to be Chase's turn to read this for us. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. So the dead go straight to the grave and they remain in the tomb or remain in the grave. But why? It says, marvel not at this, for the hour comes in which all that are in the tomb shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth, those that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and those that have done evil unto the resurrection of death. Ah, now Jesus, the same Jesus who holds the keys of death and hell, he is saying this. He's saying that the hour is coming that all who are in the where? Graves shall hear his voice. So in other words, when will all those in the graves hear Jesus' voice and be brought forth? This is going to take place when Jesus comes, uh, the second coming. When Jesus returns a second time, he's going to call people out from their graves 
And it says that they shall come forth, they, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So we see that there's going to be a resurrection that'll take place. In fact, there'll be two resurrections that'll take place. And so until then, until this event, until the resurrection, everyone who has died remain in their graves until Jesus comes. And so that's very clear. Everyone remains in the grave once they die. They're not in heaven. They're not in hell. They're not in purgatory. They are simply in the graves awaiting to hear Jesus' voice when he comes. And so uh, the Bible is so clear, isn't it? You can't get around it. It's so clear. Now, number seven, it says the Bible makes it plain that King David is saved. King David, a man after God's own heart, a good man uh, and a good king. Well, not, not, he didn't have a spotless record, but uh, he was still nonetheless uh, a good king. And we can expect to see David in heaven. I believe we'll see him in heaven. But is David in heaven now? And there's a very compelling sermon that Peter preached in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 29. And uh, we're going to have uh, Jeff read the next text. Acts 2, verse 29. What does Peter say about King David, who is, of course, at this time dead? Is he in heaven now? And this is what Peter tells us. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Okay, so notice what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that David, the patriarch, he is both dead and buried, and he says that his sepulcher or his tomb is with us unto this day. It's interesting that Peter is actually stating that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us to this day. But Jeff, would you mind reading verse 34 as well? Yep. Um, For David did not ascend into heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Okay, so we see here, Peter, uh, Peter is saying that David has not yet ascended into where? Good David. You know, David is a man after a God's own heart. We could expect to see him in heaven, but he says that he has not been, he has not ascended into heaven, right? So David is not ascended into heaven. In fact, he is dead. He's buried. The sepulchre is with us to this day. He is remaining in the tomb before Jesus returns. And Jesus says, you know, uh, I mean, David is saying the hope that he has, my Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand um, till I make your, your enemies a footstool. So it's another, in other words, when Jesus finally conquers everything and everything's under his feet, he's going to come, establish his kingdom. And when he comes, everyone's going to be resurrected. Right? So that's the hope that David was looking forward towards. Uh, David knew that when he died, he's going to be in the grave waiting for Jesus to come. Now, Perina's asking a question. What happens to people who are cremated? Now, uh, that's a very good question. You know, um, you know, I don't think that anything's impossible for God, um, especially, especially in the manner of which, how one dies. And if you really think about it, when somebody dies, they return back to the dust from which they came, right? 
So cremation is also the same sort of thing, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You know, we, we, remain, we come back to that same, you know, basic material that we, we become. And God is able to bring us all back together again. He's not going to be limited to, you know, the way that we died. And also, if you uh, remember in the, the Middle Ages and also throughout history, a lot of God's people died, uh, burned at the stake. Right. So in that way, that's kind of like cremation. But yet we know that that God is able to bring them back. And so uh, God is not limited to the fact that the physical substance seems to have, you know, been consumed. But God can still bring people back. I don't know how, but he's able to bring something out of nothing when he created all things. He can definitely re uh, resurrect uh, uh, people who are in him. And so I hope that answers your question, Perina. That's a very good question. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to question number eight. It says, but isn't it true that the soul is immortal and only the body dies? Now, there's this concept in, in, the, in, in the New Age um, thinking and also in, in other like uh, religions. Uh, they believe that the soul is immortal. The moment you die, yes, your physical body dies, but your soul continues to live on. And that's what many uh, religions actually believe. That yes, yet your body, although your body dies, your soul continues to live on. Now, is that true? Does the Bible also agree with this sort of concept that there's an immortal soul? Yes, your body dies, but your soul lives on. Is that what the Bible says? Let's take a look. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. And we're going to take a look at who's next here. I think it's Rogers next. Ezekiel 18, 4. Is there such thing as an immortal soul? For every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son. Both, al both, alike, both, both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Okay, so notice that last part. That's the primary focus of what we want to look at, the last part that Roger just read. Roger read, the soul that sinneth, it shall what? Fill in the blank. The soul that sinneth, it shall... What's the word? Die. Die. Yes, thank you. So the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Notice when they... A soul can die. A soul does not live on. A soul, and, and, and by the way, how many of us have sinned? The Bible tells us all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. So the soul that sinned, and I said earlier that you and I are souls. We're living souls, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And so we have all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The soul that sinneth, this text says, it shall die. That's so plain, right? The soul that sinneth, it shall die die so the soul does not live on the soul does not live on the soul is not immortal it it shall die we look at job chapter 4 verse 17 um and we look at what it says there job 4 17 and we're going to have sherry read that for us Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Yes, thank you. So what does it describe man to be? 
he is mortal. mortal. He's mortal. Yeah, man is mortal. And so that was mortal mean. Mortal means that we're subject to death, right? Yeah. Immortal means that you live forever. And we yeah. see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, the only person that has immortality, according to the Bible, is God, right? It says, who's king of kings and lord of lords, who alone hath immortality. Only God is immortal. Man, which we all are, men and women alike, we are mortal. Only God is immortal. So this idea of the undying immortal soul is not found in the Bible. This is a, a man-made teaching. And this is very prominent in many religious circles and New Age circles where people think that you will live on. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't support that idea. The Bible says that when you die, that's it. And all souls that sin will die. Only God alone has immortality. So then the question then would be, when will the righteous be given immortality? We're going to be looking forward to everlasting life in the new heaven and a new earth when Jesus comes. Won't we experience immortality? Um, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 53. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. And we're going to have Chase read that for us. First Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. Here's what it says. Uh, there we go. Behold, I shall show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. All right, so we see very clearly this is taking place where we will put, there's a time where we'll, we will, we which are corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. When is this taking place? This is taking place when Jesus comes. And you'll see that in the moment of the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. So very clearly, when will the last trumpet sound and the dead will be raised? This is taking place when Jesus comes. His second coming. When Jesus comes, he's going to call people out of their graves. He's going to blow that trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise up. And when they rise up, they will be changed from corruptible to incorruptible from mortal to immortality. And so that is a wonderful thing that we can all look forward to. And as we remain in Christ, we know that that is assured to us, uh, eternal life and immortality. It's on condition of us being in Christ and him in us. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16. Uh, we go there next. And we're going to have uh, Jeff, read that for us. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. All right, just a second on that one. <clears throat> All right. First Thessalonians. 
If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even okay, so, right. God will bring him. What? Verse 16, sorry. Verse 16? Oh, 16? Yes. Okay. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet, in the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so we see here that the dead will rise when, when Jesus comes with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And so we see that the righteous will be given immortality at the resurrection. The wicked will never receive that, that uh, immortality. This is going to take place in the first resurrection when Jesus comes. We'll be studying about that more in detail later on, about the first resurrection and the second resurrection in our study about the millennium. But we see that the first resurrection is where we want to be a part of. Because that first resurrection and only in that resurrection are those who are raised will be given immortality. The second resurrection is, is not a good resurrection to be a part of because you're not going to receive immortality. Uh, question number 10, how does the Bible repeatedly refer to death? And we go to John chapter 11. And this is the account of Jesus. And remember, Jesus had a close friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus was a dear friend of his who was very sick. And Jesus could have healed him right away, but he didn't. He actually lingered. He delayed. In fact, it was almost as if he wanted Lazarus to die. And uh, there's a reason for that. And we look at uh, John chapter 11, verse 11. And what did Jesus refer to death as? He, re he repeatedly referred to death as uh, something. We look at John chapter 11, verse 11, and we're going to go ahead and have Roger read that for us. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Okay, so Jesus is saying, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. And so his disciples, they're thinking, oh, Lazarus is sleeping. That's great, Lord. That means he's going to get better <coughs> if he sleeps. But then we see in verse 14, why don't you read that for us, Roger? So then he told them plainly, <coughs> Lazarus is dead. So Jesus tells them that when he's saying that he's sleeping, what is Jesus actually saying? He's saying that Lazarus is. He's dead. He's dead, yeah. right? He's saying that Lazarus is dead. So sleep is oftentimes uh, referred to as death. And this also happened, if you remember the story of Jesus and Jairus. And Jairus, he came seeking after Jesus to heal his daughter his 12-year-old daughter. And um, as they were going along the way, they were kind of lingering along the way. The woman touched him and Jesus said, oh, somebody touched me and uh, power came out of me. And that woman uh, who was healed through that touch, right? And then after that, because of that lingering, the daughter died. 
and Jesus goes back to the house of Jairus and, and all the people are mourning. And Jesus says, why are you mourning? She's not dead. She's sleeping. And everyone's like laughing Jesus to scorn. They're saying, you're crazy. What are you talking about? She's dead. And they're laughing. And Jesus even then referred to death as sleep. And we see also Matthew chapter 27, verse 52. Uh, let's, let's hit all these verses here. Uh, let's have Chase read Matthew 27, verse 52. Uh, we'll have Jeff. Oh, did I skip, I skip the Sherry? Yes. Sorry, Sherry. You'll read <laughs> Matthew 27, verse 52. Oh, and okay. Chase, uh, you'll read 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And Jeff, you'll read 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. Okay. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Okay, so notice the bodies of the saints were raised, but what were they doing before they were raised? They were asleep. They were asleep, right? So in other words, they were dead, right? Yes. yes. Okay, Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. That's Chase. When your days are fulfilled... And you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So it says here that you shall rest with thy fathers. Other translations say you sleep with thy fathers. So we see very clearly that that's meaning not a sleep that they're going to wake up from, but it's a sleep that is a sleep of death, right? Like their, their ancestors before them sleep, the sleep of death. And they're saying that they will sleep with them. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse 14. <clears throat> For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Okay, so those who sleep with Jesus is talking about those who are dead. And so the Bible often refers to death as a sleep. Death is a state of unconsciousness during which time has no, uh, no, um, you know, there, there's no awareness of time. So like if I were to die today or if any of us were to die today and um, we're not going to be aware of how much time has transpired because the next conscious thought that we're going to have when we die is going to be Jesus coming in the clouds. And so that's going to be happening like in a moment, right? We, we die, but our next conscious thought will be like we see Jesus in the, in the clouds and he's, he's coming to earth. So it's, it's like when you go to sleep in the literal sense, uh, when you're sleeping in your bed, you're not aware of how much time has transpired. You just close your eyes and the moment you wake up, all of a sudden you, you see what time it is. You see that it's morning. You see the alarm has woken you up. And you realize that, you know, it's the next day already. So it's the same sort of concept. When we, when we die, we're not aware of time, but our next conscious thought will be that Jesus has returned and called us out of the graves. And so the teaching that the spirits of the dead are heavenly angels or some ghost-like entity that can be contacted is not scriptural. It's not biblical. And, uh, why, where did these things come from? Where did these ideas come from that, you know, these people are, are talking to you from the other side, you know, and people can contact your dead loved ones or they can contact a dead Hollywood 
actress from a long time ago, or, or all these stories where people claim that they've had an, had an experience through a seance or through a medium that they were talking to that very person that died long ago. Where, where is this coming from? The Bible tells us that that's not true because everyone that dies, they, are, they know nothing and they don't, they're not in heaven or hell. So where, what's the whole concept behind this? What's behind all this idea that people still are able to contact us from the dead? We look at the next question. Since wizards, witches, and psychics cannot contact the dead, because we know that the dead know nothing, their feelings and thoughts have perished, they're awaiting in their graves with no conscious thought of what's going on, who are they contacting then? If they claim to be contacting these people that these people that know these things that only their loved ones know, and it's very convincing, but who are they contacting? We looked at Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, which I believe Jeff read for us earlier. I'm just gonna go ahead and read that because um, just we, we did cover it, but I'll just read it again for emphasis. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So we, we see that these angels that were cast out of heaven, that were cast out with Satan, these are evil spirits who deceive people by working miracles. They use all power and signs and lying wonders and can even make fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, very compelling manifestations of spiritual phenomena. And we see that psychics and these mediums claiming to contact the spirits of the dead, they, and the spirits of the dead know these things about you because you know, they, they're, they're aware of everything and they, they use and exploit the, the bonds that we have with our families as a means to deceive many people. And so we see that when people are trying to contact or if they claim that they've had contact with spirits of the dead, the Bible tells us that's not really their loved ones. The Bible tells us that they're really in touch with Satan's fallen angels who are impersonating as their loved ones. And so this is where it gets very dangerous. And it's very important for us to understand this topic because this is the means by which many people will be deceived in the last days. Spiritualism will run rampant, and, and it is happening more today as people are getting more um, fascinated with magic and with wizardry and, and Harry Potter and all these things becoming more and more prevalent. Um, you know, these, these things, they, they even have a show called Lucifer, which is actually so terrible, which actually... It's talking about Lucifer, Satan himself, and people are just getting familiar with this and, and, and getting fascinated with these things. And when, when in actuality, they should be staying away from these things. And, and number 12 says, why does Satan want us to believe that the spirits of the dead are really alive? We go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 24 and 25. And we're, who's next? Is it Sherry? Yes. Okay. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. 
Okay, so we see very clearly Jesus gives a warning. He says, in the last days before he comes, there shall be false Christ and false prophets. And they'll show great signs and wonders to do what? Deceive us. To deceive us, exactly. To deceive the world, to deceive even the very elect. So in other words, that should make us shudder a little bit because even God's people will be susceptible to these deceptions. Uh, we can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, so that's not going to happen to me, or I know this truth, so it's not going to happen to me. It's going to be very convincing. It's going to be so convincing, in fact, that you're going to be even tempted to doubt the word of God because your senses are being bombarded, bombarded, bombarded and um, dazzled by all these things that are taking place that are so convincing. And, uh, you know, this is all satan's work because satan's first lie to mankind was what in the garden of eden he said to eve you shall not surely die and that lie friends is still being believed by many people today you know many he wants people to believe that you don't die you you don't die you continue to live on and so when people believe that and he wants people to believe that the spirits of the dead are alive so his angels can pose as saints, as religious figures, as religious uh, prophets, those who have died. He can pose as an angel of light um, so he can deceive people by the millions using this, the, his spirits. And this is called spiritism or spiritualism. It's a, based on a belief that the dead are alive, which the Bible doesn't say that. And number two, they can contact you and you can contact them. This is one of Satan's most dangerous teachings. And yet the whole world believes it today. They go to tarot cards. They go to astrology. They go to all these other means to find out about their life and what the future holds for them. You know, those are dangerous things where we're opening ourselves up to allow the influence of these evil spirits to, to have access to our lives. And so the witch of Endor, when she summoned up Samuel, the prophet, that was not Samuel, the prophet. It was an evil angel posing as Samuel. And we know that based on what we studied so far, that the Bible tells us clearly that the dead know nothing, that they're not in heaven or in hell. There's, there's no consciousness of what's going on in their life when they're dead. It, that's it until Jesus comes. And so number 13, how effective will Satan's use of these evil spirits be in the last days? Revelation chapter 18, verse 23. And we're going to have Chase read that for us. Revelation 18 and verse 23, right? Yes, please. Here's what it says. He says, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Mm. So in other words, we see that sorcery is still alive today. We kind of think that that's archaic and back in the Middle Ages, but sorcery is still very much 
a part of today and will be even more so in the last days because that's going to be the means by which all the nations will be deceived. And sorcery is simply the belief that you can conjure up people from the dead and, and have access to their power or their, their knowledge or whatever. And so that's very, very dangerous for us to be dabbling in such things. And uh, would you read verse 2 as well, Chase, of that same chapter? Verse 2? Yes. Uh, going a bit back, and here's what it says. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and he has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. Okay, so notice, as is talking about the the terrible condition of Babylon, saying that it is a hold of every foul and unclean spirit right so we see the habitation of devils is where babylon is and this is where many people are being deceived babylon is a system of confusion and this is the means by many people are where many people are held through these deceptions uh, through these working of these unclean and foul spirits and we see that that's something that we need to be aware of by studying the word of God and knowing what the word of God tells us about these things, lest we also be swept by that delusion. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, who's behind all these things? Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Jeff, you're next. Okay, 12, verse 9. Okay. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Okay, so we see that the devil is behind this whole deception that is taking the world by storm. So the devil is actually doing these miracles, or as we know it, sorceries, through his evil agents, his demons, and their, their intent to virtually deceive the entire world through these means. That's why understanding this truth is so important. And many people don't know, it, know this. And so when we know what the Bible has to say about this, about this teaching about the immortality of the soul, we will be protected in the last days from this deception because the truth will set us free as we cling to the truth and abide by the truth. So when somebody says, hey, my dead grandmother visited me the other day, you know very well that's not the dead grandmother that they saw. The Bible tells us that that's an evil spirit impersonating that loved one. And so that's the time for us to be aware of these things and be on guard because the devil will use our loved ones as a means to deceive us and to exploit, that, exploit our, our, our vulnerabilities. Um, number 14, how does God regard these miracles by evil angels? Okay, so let's take a look at uh, several verses here. We're not going to have time to look at them all, but we'll take a look at a few of them. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. And uh, we are going to have Roger read that. Riaz, if you want to read, do you want to read as well? Sorry, I, I've been, I didn't ask you. But Riaz, if you do, just uh, if you want to read, give me a thumbs up, okay? If not, that's fine. We'll just continue as we did. 
but um, we'll have Leviticus 20, verse 27 read. And Roger, if you're able to read that for us. A man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Okay. So that's a very serious uh, command that God gives, right? If those who are actually um, involved with speaking to these evil spirits and familiar spirits, it says that they shall be surely put to death. God does not want his people to be, to be dabbling in these things because he knows what the outcome will be. It'll draw them away to destruction. It'll, draw, it'll first deceive them and draw them away and they'll be destroyed. And he doesn't want that for his people. And so he, he has a very strong, he's strongly against these things uh, when we're trying to you know, dabble in, in communicating with the dead. First Timothy chapter four, verse one is next. And Sherry's going to read that for us. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's right. So this is talking about the last days, the latter times. We're living in that time. It says that many will depart from the faith. Why? Because they will give heed to seducing spirits. Yes. Yeah. And doctrines of devils. Right? And so this is, this is talking about the elect, as Jesus warned. Even the elect will be deceived. And this is what's taking place here. In the last days, that will take place. And so we need to be very, very on guard. We need to be in the word and we need to also uh, be aware of these things and stay away from, from these uh, influences. Um, we'll, we'll end. There's three other verses, but we're going to just hit one more and we'll move on for the sake of time. Ephesians chapter five, verse 11. Chase, if you could read that for us. Ephesians chapter 5, right? Yes, verse 11. And here's what it says. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's right. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, so friends, I, I want to even encourage you to stay away from tarot cards, psychic readings, um, horoscopes, astrology, uh, anything that has to do with magic, right? I don't care if it's white magic or black magic, they're all the same. You stay away from those things. Uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness because those are the means which the devil will cling to your life and it's going to be really hard to break away if we remain in those things. So and also, those things are connected with this whole concept of the, the dead and, you know, conversing with the dead and, and, the, and the spirits of the dead. So we got to stay away from those things. God commanded in Moses' day that all psychics be put to death. Today, he insists that sorcery is the work of the flesh, which people will be destroyed. Uh, the verses that we didn't read today said that sorcery will actually bar us from entering into heaven. I don't want that for anybody. Uh, he warns that when we dabble with psychics, you leave the faith. And he tells us that all sorcerers will die the second death 
in the lake of fire. And so we really don't want to take part in that lest we also take part in the same punishment as them. And so it's very serious and rightfully so to warn us. Uh, question number 15. What glorious power does God offer his people? Now, before we read this text in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, and I think Jeff is going to read our last text tonight, I just want to share something that I listened to or I watched on television a while ago on the news. Uh, they were actually interviewing a female witch. And this female witch was talking about how awesome it was that she was a witch and how cool it was and how she had all this you know abilities and she could cast you know charms and and all these other curses on people and things like that and the news reporter asked her why do you want to be a witch what what what's the what's the appeal behind that and she said because i can experience power that's what she said you know there's a power that i never had before in my life and i i really like it it's so exhilarating to have that power you know, but how sad that really is because, you know, the God offers us a, a greater power than that second-rate power that that young woman is gravitating towards. God gives us a glorious power, a stronger power than anything that Satan can offer. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 tells us what that power is. And so, Jeff, would you read that for us? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Mm. Now, now get this, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. So Jesus gives us a greater power and he offers a greater power for us. He offers us the same power. It's this, the same power that resurrected him from the dead. <laughs> That, that's, a, that's a tremendous power, wouldn't you say? A power that can overcome death. That same power is available for us to live a righteous life as well. You know, when we're struggling to live a life uh, in our own means, in our own ability, Jesus offers that power to us today, that power to overcome sin, the power to overcome death, the power to overcome our inherited and cultivated tendencies that that mar our character that that makes us nothing like jesus and we wonder how can i overcome my temper how can i overcome my pride how can i overcome all these issues that i have it's it's impossible and friends it is impossible but jesus offers us that glorious power he offers us that glorious power that incredible power that he gives us, that gives us the power to overcome those tendencies, that gives us the power to overcome sin. And that's a greater power than anything else that the devil can offer. And Jesus loves us so much, he warns us, he warns us to stay away from the second-rate power through these miracles of evil angels, and he offers those divine miracles to take place in your life that is very much needed in order to prepare us for his kingdom. And friends, that power is accessible to each and every one of us. And that's the good news. And he offers that power to us today. How many of you today want to say, Lord, I want to gladly accept that glorious power, the power of your resurrection that you offer me today. 
And I know that through that same power, I can overcome in the areas of my life that I, I'm powerless to overcome. But you offer me that power and I gladly accept it. How many of you guys want to say that today? Jeff said, amen. God bless you. Sherry said, amen. Perina said, amen. God bless you. And uh, God bless you. And, and may you, and Roger said, yes, God bless you all. May you experience that power in its fullness today, brothers and sisters. And the Lord is faithful to give us that power. Well, no matter what we're going through, that power is available for you. And that power will help you overcome the world. And that's the victory that we can experience through Jesus Christ. I want to thank you so much for joining us for this weekly podcast. If you like what you heard and you would like to get more resources like this, you can check out our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash BibleVision777. We also have a Facebook page, which you can check out, facebook.com forward slash BibleVision777. And if you'd like to contact us for questions or inquiries or special events, you can contact us at BibleVision777 at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.